Since the dawn of civilization, humans have endeavored to become stronger and faster. From the invention of the wheel to today, history is replete with men and women who have applied innovation to fitness. But in the past 50 years, while millions have made livings in this industry, a select few have taken that passion to the highest level, creating brands and products known across the globe. Today we celebrate these pioneers, for they are the Gym Class Heroes. All right, welcome to Gym Class Heroes, Episode 4, presented by Athletic Business Magazine and the iClubs Conference, coming to you November 20th through 22nd. 2013 in San Diego, California, strategies for independent clubs and uh, entrepreneurs out there and fitness innovators. You won't want to miss that fantastic event. Uh, I am Lee Kessler. I am joined as always by my partner, Jose Noshirvani. How you doing, Lee? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm suffering through poison ivy scratching, but I hope that doesn't affect the podcast. Hopefully not. Yeah, I can't imagine it will. And we are here with a uh, with with a very special guest. You know, when you talk about innovators in the industry and people who really made an impact and changed the way that people approach fitness, uh, the great Paul Byrne from uh, from Precore. Paul, uh, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Terrific. Um, Lee, I've got I've got to ask the first question. I've been dying to ask this question. So Paul is uh, is soon to be retiring from Precore after uh, you know being the steward of, of growth over the last uh, what 12, 15 years or so. How's your golf game? For, I've been here for twenty eight. Yeah, twenty eight years. 28. How is your how is your golf game? Uh, it's miserable, but huh. uh, it's, it's, you'll it's have time to, to work better. on it. It's about to get better. You know, I, I have this thing called work that's gotten in the way too often and this other passion called fly fishing that I seem to default to rather than golf. So I'll have time hopefully for both. Very nice. That's, that's right. You're a fly fisherman. Oh, are you? I know you're an enthusiastic fisherman, but not a fly fisherman. I, am, I, uh, I actually, uh, for my birthday, my wife bought me uh, my first fly fishing lessons. So uh, I've, uh, I've been practicing with a uh, – uh, in my front yard, it's um, it hasn't been good. I won't kid you. It's 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 it's, it's, it's a lot more. It's 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 an incredibly difficult uh, difficult process to learn to do it properly. Uh, and I and I sat there and watched the river runs through it probably 20 times just to prepare <laughs> for it. Didn't help at all. Paul, what's there's a lot more to it. There's a yeah, lot more it, to it than just casting, and that's uh, that's what makes it fun and totally engrossing. What is the appeal? I mean, you're a fitness guy, uh, you know, and obviously you've you create machines that do intense workouts. Where is uh, what's the appeal of fly fishing? Well, I, I think first of all, I've always been into nature. You know, as a kid, I, I fished as a very very young boy. I, I, I subscribed to field and stream when I was six years old. So uh, I've always been into the outdoors, and I, and I think fly fishing, just in particular, is 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 the perfect getaway it's like it's kind of like golf on a great day you know where you're in the zone and everything's working and time's flying by and you don't even realize it and just it's just it's it's a sense of of peace and engagement and with fly fishing it's that way for me all all the time so it's just a great way to get away and kind of turn the turn the brain off and, and just be with nature and it's amazing a lot of your best ideas come you know driving back from fishing because you've just spent four hours totally relaxed so (laughs) <laughs> lovely, lovely pursuit, and perfect to do out out west where you're located. Are you, you're not from the Northwest though, are you? No, no, I'm from the uh, scenic state of New Jersey, known for its pristine <laughs> rivers, <laughs> covered with oil. 
<laughs> where you are a little bit scared of what you might catch when you catch that. I never that. ate anything. <laughs> so you came from – so you're a New Jersey boy. I got you. And, and you've been yeah. out west how long? Well, I've been 28 years here. Oh, 28 years. That was the big move. 28, yeah. I moved here in uh, 85. Terrific. And I came here first in 1972. Uh, my, I was a junior in college, and uh, my roommate was trying out for the Olympic team, and I, I told him I'd come and support him. So I flew to Eugene. I, and I'd never been west of Philadelphia. I flew to Eugene, Oregon in May of 72, and I remember looking down and seeing like the greenest green I'd ever seen in my life and thinking, you know, this, this could be a good place to be, and spent the whole summer there, and then liked it so much, spent the whole summer of 73 there. Mm-hmm. And when I got the chance to come back to the Northwest, I, I jumped on it. Did your friend make the Olympic team? He did. He was a high jumper on the 1972 Olympic team. Very cool. Very cool. And that was a special time to be in Eugene because uh, it was Steve Prefontaine and it was the birth of Nike. And it was a really, really cool time. Were you able to be part of that world because of it? Uh, well, not you mean part of the Nike world? or? Yeah, what was going on there? Yeah. I mean, not really. Other than as a, you know, as, as a fan, and and I was a I was a track guy in in high school, and I, I ran for a couple of years in in college and played football in college. So, uh, I was always into track and field. Loved it. Loved the sport. And uh, yeah, so to be there and be be at a place that really appreciated track and field, you sit in the stands and you'd have fifty year old ladies behind you with their stopwatches going fifty two first quarter. That's that's way too slow. You know, I got to pick it up. I mean, you know, I mean, they were so knowledgeable. Where if you went to a track meet in you know New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, you'd have people cheering, and the only thing they really knew is the guy that crossed the finish line first won. Mm-hmm. That was about the extent of the knowledge. So you know, Eugene is. Uh, I mean, that's that's the seat, and still is the seat of track and field in America. For sure. Um, before we get into, because uh, I want to go, you talked about starting out, but talking about the fly fishing, what is the best idea that ever came out of fly fishing for you? That that drive back, you you drove away, and 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 now we know it because you went on that trip. Boy, I wish I could answer that because there were there were so many. You know, there were, for me there are two places: one's fly fishing, the other is the shower, uh, <laughs> where you know things just come to you. It's either either solving a you know a problem or or seeing you know seeing a new path uh, you know whether it's a it's a product or a way to promote it or a way to distribute it uh, but I wish I could answer I can't I there's there there is no one thing there there are many I really needed you to give me a good answer there so that the next time I have a go fly fishing I have an excuse to tell my wife I, I'm just going to go there to get some good ideas <laughs> okay. I could make one up a lot of times it's around uh, structure you know because when you're running a business, it's yes, it's about product and it's about innovation. But you guys know it's it's really about the people. And when you're in the, a senior role, you're you're going to do as well as your ability to surround yourself with, with great people, and you know enable them. And so a lot of times it would be you know somebody I wanted to move to a new slot. You know, occasionally, frankly, maybe even get rid of uh, somebody. But how I, you know, deployed the, the people resources. I spent a lot of time thinking about that because it, it, when you're the president of an organization, unless you, you view yourself as a dictator, uh, where your point of greatest leverage is the people around you. What did you, uh, what have you learned from, or maybe not fly fishing, but from, from your days in track and field? Because track and field uh, is somewhat of a, of a personal or an individual sport and endeavor. What did you learn from, from that? Uh, that you sort of can bring to the business world? 
I think, you know, track and field, it, it, it's about accountability, right? You, you know, I, I played football and I, and I ran track. And, and, you know, in football, I could always say, oh, you know, if that guy had only made that block, I would have gone for a touchdown. It's all his fault. He missed a damn block, you know. So I was never, it was never my fault. It was somebody else's fault. <laughs> in, tra- in track, it's just you and the guy next to you. Uh, so you're, you are personally accountable. And then if you take that back uh, up, kind of upstream to stick with the metaphor, uh, you take that back upstream, it's all about the preparation. So if you just show up on that day and compete and you're not prepared, then the likelihood is you're probably not going to win. But if you know all the things you need to do to prepare for that moment, that goal, whatever it is, uh, you'll, you, know, you have a good shot at winning. And you've done all the preparation work and, and, you, and you control the outcome. So accountability, that's a, it's a biggie for us. Uh, and at Precor, actually, we, we make everybody take a class in accountability, if you can believe it. Because no kidding. It's a, it's a quality that's really missing in a lot of organizations and just kind of America in general. It's, it's never your fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And, you know, we have people called attorneys that you know, make a living at this every day. Right. When somebody gets hurt or, you know, fall, I'll give it, for instance, you know, falls off a treadmill because they don't know how to use it. You think it's their fault? Of course not. It's, it's our fault. So this whole, this whole concept of accountability, I think, is key. So let me let me ask you a question, uh, and we're jumping uh, jumping ahead here a little bit, but um, they recently made an announcement that uh, they're considering obesity a disease, mm-hmm. uh, similar to cancer or you know a sore throat or strep throat or whatever, mm-hmm. um, which essentially means that there isn't you know. So what are your thoughts on? So I don't lead, I'm not a lead I'm not leading the witness as it were. Um, <laughs> what what are your thoughts on that? Well, I have kind of two sets of thoughts. Uh, you know, one, one. Let's take the non-business thought first, and 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 that would be back to this accountability theme. I, I think there's a high percentage of people who, if they chose to, could could have controlled themselves to the point that they would not be obese. Uh, and and disease to me. It's, connotes that some lack of control over some variable. So uh, I, I really believe that. Now, are there people who, are, who, are, who would be obese anyway? Probably. And there's a lot of research out there that's showing that the, you know, the gut, gut bacteria have a lot to do with it, and that's been changed by what we eat, how we've medicated ourselves and all that. So I think there's a lot we don't know. Uh, but but I, I do think there's a high percentage of people that, that, that could control that. The flip side, from the, from the business point of view, I think it's fantastic because it's it, it's really going to get the attention it deserves. I think more quickly because <laughs> now that it's a disease, the costs are going to go up even more. Now, you know, insurance companies are going to be forced to pay for it. You know, drug companies are going to rush out and do you know come up with things that you can take, and we'll be seeing commercials. You know, thankfully we'll see commercials on that instead of you know Viagra and Cialis. There'll be something else to watch. Uh, <laughs> But that's you know that is great for our business because with the you know with, with these costs going up, there's going to be a lot more focus on on prevention, you know, and and, and fitness is going to be one of the things that leads to charge. So I, I actually think it's great for our industry. Very cool. So I want to go back into your story. Um, you uh, you graduate of Colgate University, oh, yeah. and uh, and you go right into uh, you go right into working in in a high end fitness products. I mean, were you was this where you knew you were going to go into the world of fitness? Oh no, 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 no. I I majored in uh, biology at Colgate and thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. And uh, actually, so you don't eat meat? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you love me, <laughs> but I love animals. I mean, back to the whole nature thing. So I always, I've always loved animals, and I've always loved science. And and I thought, I thought I wanted to be a, a veterinarian. Uh, and, and two things kind of changed that. You know, first, first was uh, <laughs> I did, I didn't get into vet school right out of the gate. And I don't know if you know about vet school. At least oh, when yeah. I applied, there are 15 vet schools in the nation. And if you don't come from a state that has one, I mean, it's, it's much more difficult getting into than medical school. So I decided that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I would get a master's in, um, in, in genetic, animal genetics. I applied for uh, at University of California at, at Davis. But in the meantime, um, I got to work with, during what's called a Jan plan at Colgate, where you take the whole month of January doing basically whatever you want. I worked with a local vet in Hamilton, New York, and I spent a month uh, driving around with him and sticking my hand up cow's rear ends to see if they were pregnant. And uh, I spayed my own dog and spayed cats and did all this work. And I realized, yeah, may, maybe not. You know, I'm not sure this is it. Well, meantime, I, I, I'm looking at the catalog from UC Davis, and I'm just flipping through it in my apartment, and I see this master's in this thing called exercise physiology. And I go, hmm, well, that sounds interesting. And, you know, I love fitness and sports and you know, I'm good in science. And just right there, I changed my mind and I applied for that instead of the animal genetics and uh, went out to Davis and started my master's in, uh, in exercise physiology. And this was 1974 or five. And uh, I remember my mother saying, like, what are you crazy? There, there are no jobs in this stuff. <laughs> and at that time, I, I think there were maybe five schools that had exercise physiology in the whole nation. Um, and it was like, you know, I tell you, hey, mom, you told me to follow my heart, follow my heart. It's going to work out. It's all good. Uh, if nothing else, it's going to be very interesting. And uh, so I did that. Went to Davis, uh, met the woman who's now my wife of 30, whatever, eight years or so. Um, and we, we moved to Syracuse. We both finished our master's at Syracuse. And while I was at Syracuse to help sort of pay my way through, I started selling uh, Paramount <laughs> sports trainers. You know the company Paramount, right? Mm -hmm. sure. So I've known Steve Rhodes, who's the president of Paramount, since I was at Syracuse. It's a long, long time. And we were doing research for, for Paramount. A friend of mine was working on his PhD in exercise physiology, and I was helping him with his project. And we were comparing Paramount's uh, sports trainer, which was essentially just a multi-station gym, to the uh, Universal, which at that time dominated the business, and, and Nautilus products, which was kind of an up-and-comer and free weights, and which one was more efficacious to gaining strength. And it was an interesting study. But anyway, I thought the Paramount products were beautiful. And I called them up and I said, hey, is anybody selling this out here? I could use a little side job. And I started selling uh, Paramount sports trainers out of my dorm room in, uh, on Comstock Avenue in Syracuse. And I remember my first customer was a Syracuse YMCA. And that's when I realized, you know, this, this business thing is kind of interesting, and I, I like this. And so that set me down the path of, of equipment, and one thing led to another, and boom, I was at uh, Precor about five years later. And I, uh, I heard this. I was, I was talking with, uh, with Jim Burrell about you, and yeah. uh, he had a great story about the first, your first interaction with the Precor company was at a trade show, and you got kicked out of the booth. Yeah. Yeah. So after I left Syracuse, I, I actually just to uh, show that you can accomplish anything, even after the worst. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did. I got I got kicked out. I I had started a, a retail company. We started one of the first chains of retail uh, equipment stores in the nation in Florida called Concept 90 in the late 82. And uh, I think it was the trade show. I want to say it was 83. Uh, I went to Chicago and Precor had just come out as a brand. And there was this 
bike that David Smith had designed and the flywheel was horizontal and basically on the ground and it was covered so you couldn't see it. And I'd never seen a bike without a flywheel. What God, what this is the most interesting bike. So I just walked over and kind of tipped it over to see what was happening and this guy, like a madman, runs up to me and like kicks me out of the booth. It was David Smith, the founder. <laughs> uh and we and you know, we ended up becoming great friends and pre we were a great customer of Precores and and David's the one who called me two years later and said, Hey look, I know you have stock in, in Concept ninety we just sold to Kraft. We can, you know, hopefully, like we can do a like-for-like like, uh, exchange, and I'd love you to come and help me build Precore. And that's what happened. It started in July of '85. So, how many employees at Precore know that you've uh, you've neutered a uh, cat? <laughs> <laughs> Not very many. I don't think. <laughs> By the way, just just so you know, Paul, you're in good company. Hossein has castrated a bull. <laughs> I haven't. Really, he I has haven't castrated been. a bull. I've, I was there. I wasn't gutsy enough to stand with him when he did it. Wow. <laughs> um, By the way, I uh, I definitely made the right decision going into software as opposed to uh, veterinarian school. Oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> I was. That's yeah. So that'll stay with me for a while. So you now, did. Did you grow up on a farm, or what, what? What's the background there? I did not actually. Um, we uh, we go to a farm uh, about once a year. Uh, it's a working farm. And uh, me and, and Lee and a couple of our, our friends from college, and uh, we work on the farm. And sometimes it's making hay, sometimes it's building a barn, and then sometimes it's just castrating a cow. <laughs> where, where is a this? Bull. Montana? A bull. A bull. No, you can't castrate not, a cow, I guess. This is in uh, Virginia. Mountains. In Virginia. Oh, Virginia. In, okay. in, uh, just in the, mount, in the shadows of the Shenandoah. Oh, very nice. And it's the kind yeah. of environment where the neighbor down the road, about 10 miles down the road, will come up and say, hey, I need your help castrating a bull tomorrow. And, <laughs> and man, that's just neighborly duty. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's great. That's now, great. I will say, just just for uh, for the sake of the steamish here, it is it was a chemical castration. Um, and you had to use a rubber band as well, but it was mainly the chemical castration. But, ah. <laughs> but lessons were learned. Yeah, it, on my Wikipedia page, uh, I'm going to put uh, castrated a cow as an accomplishment in life. <laughs> it's important to have. So, so let me. Uh, so, you go to Precore and you start yeah. out working with David. Uh, did you immediately set your sights on I'm going to do something different? I'm going to create a new kind of company out of this, or was that a gradual? That was more of a that was more of a gradual thing. Um, you know, I came in as VP of Sales and Marketing and. Uh, one of the opportunities I saw initially was was to build a distribution channel. At, at, at that time, we sold primarily through sporting goods stores. So most mm -hmm. people don't know this. I mean, our biggest customer was Herman's. I don't know if you even remember who Herman's sure. was, but absolutely, sure. you know, Herman's was giant on the East Coast, and and and, and Oshman's was their counterpart on the West Coast. So they were sort of one and two. Um, Abercrombie and Fitch. We sold a lot of product through then. Uh, there was a group in Leechmere in Boston, which was a big department store. So, our, because our primary product was a rower, it's like a $299 rower that was just you know super hot, selling like crazy. But we were starting to make other products, and they were much more high end. So the first treadmill was 
even for then, very expensive. You know, it was twenty five, twenty eight hundred dollars, something like that. Uh, the bike was six hundred. So you're you're not going to sell these kinds of products in sporting goods stores. And these specialty stops were just starting to pop up. Like I said, we had started one of the first chains in Florida. Uh, a guy named Malcolm Mentor, who became a great friend, and unfortunately has since passed away, uh, started Busybody in, in Dallas, and that grew. So what what I tried to do was focus on the development of that channel, really help seed the development of that channel, uh, give these guys exclusives to sell our product and build build our brand. So we, we used them as best we could to help build the brand because I didn't have the budget to do that. And so those first few years were really spent more on distribution strategy than than anything. Uh, the products we, we already had, and, and certainly I helped develop those, but I think the key thing we needed early on was solid distribution, and it remains today one of our one of our great strengths. And so you're you're working in the so mostly rowers. You got the high end machines. When does the elliptical come into play, and and why does it come into play? So one of my one of my roles, at, you know, as a head of sales and marketing was to view these new submissions that came in fairly regularly. You know, people would send you a some pictures and some drawings and sometimes videos of their latest idea. And most of them, people, to be are, honest. These are people in the ahead. industry? These are inventors in uh, the industry? Some, in, or? some outside. You know, a lot of just garage inventors, you know, who like to work out and think they have the next greatest thing. Mm-hmm. And so they'll, you know, they'll send you a picture and, like I said, some schematics, uh, oftentimes a video. Mm-hmm. And you review them and you send them a nice note saying, I, I don't think so. But it, it, along came the elliptical in 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 ninety I think it was ninety three I want to say ninety two something like that, and that one you know gave me pause because it hit a couple of things that the, the this filter that we developed over the years and and I developed the concept ninety from just watching people and and one was what I called the fifteen second rule which was just that if you know somebody's not comfortable on something usually within the first fifteen seconds they're they're going to get off they're going to walk away especially in a health club because right nobody wants to look stupid and that's not a particularly great insight but but it is a critical insight mm-hmm. so the elliptical boy it nailed that one impossible to do wrong. Um, it was smooth and rhythmical. That was the other sort of checkpoint. Jesus, is, is it natural? And it was very, very natural. And the last thing was something we had been looking for increasingly, which was lower impact, because we we viewed Precore at that time as sort of tracking the needs of the baby boomers. And uh, we had added low impact to the treadmill prior to that, for that very reason, because you know we, we knew the mean age of uh, runners was getting up. We were all runners. We all knew the benefits of low impact, so we were actually the first ones to put a low impact on the treadmill, and that was actually from an outside um, inventor as well. So that that preceded the the elliptical. So when we saw the elliptical, we went, ah, but beautiful, low impact, smooth and rhythmical, 15 second rule. This this is perfect. This is going to be great. Um, so we signed the guy up. My God, we had a deal. I think in a month. I remember we flew to Chicago to see the final uh, prototype. And it was Jim and I and, and Bill Potts, and we got out. We pretended not to like it, and then we got out in the parking lot. And I said to Bill, "Sign that son of a bitch up before he gets to <laughs> before he gets the Nordic track." Yeah. Uh, and, did he get? I mean, did he show it to anybody else, or were you guys the first eyeballs? I think we he did show it, and, I, and I'd have to check with with him to ask. But he, he told us a couple of people had refused it, which I find just startling. Uh, but anyway, you know, we we jumped on it and we had a deal within a month, and you know, the rest is history. 
You know, so, I remember so. doing the first forecast thinking, you know, we can sell, I won't give you the numbers, but, you know, we can sell X amount and, you know, it was twice as many as the treadmills that we were selling at the time. And uh, I missed that forecast probably by a factor of 10 mm. at least. So it just, it just took off. Why did, because, you know, greatness always happens, you know, a thousand failures before you get to success. Why do you think mm. people passed on it? Because you immediately got it. What was missing for them, do you think? Um, well, it was different, you know, and it was a little bit of a Rube Goldberg contraption. So you, you, had, you needed some imagination when you when you looked at this prototype. I mean, the prototype was a, a Tunturi flywheel. I don't remember the old Tunturi bike uh, ergometer. The guy had taken that bike, put the flywheel in the back. The the arms were just a couple of welded pieces of metal. The foot pedals were like two uh, pieces of wood like plywood uh the upright i think was you know shaky conduit held together by duct tape so you know it wasn't a finished finished prototype that's for sure but there was enough there to know that there was a ton of potential and we spent the next two years perfecting it i mean jim and jim and his team we got we played with different flywheel configurations and stride lengths and, and it was actually that team that came up with the whole concept of the ramp because the original one just slid on a fixed ramp basically and we were trying to optimize the ramp angle and we went down to the University of Oregon a guy named Dr. Barry Bates and uh, we said hey Barry help us select the optimum angle for this thing right so the most natural motion and he came back and he said well you know there's benefits to every angle you know it, it recruits different muscle groups or same muscle groups but in different ways and uh, you know Pequon essentially and we said well you know what we'll do we'll just Take a take a lift motor from the treadmill, and make it variable. Mm. So that's actually our invention. That's not the that's not the original uh, inventor, and it made it a, a superb product, it much, even a much better product than it was as a fixed ramp uh, design. So you you said you get these sort of random folks sending you designs. Yeah. Uh, later on, did you ever come across any of those that were sent to you? that somebody else picked up and, and, and made successful? Did you pass on any great ideas? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, there are things we, we, we passed on that came out that didn't, didn't, did not function that well. Um, I'll, give you a, I'll, I'll give you two. There was, there, was, there was one that was a strength machine that used a, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not an engineer, so I don't know exactly how to, the name for it, but it's, it's almost like a starter on, on a lawnmower where you'd, pull this thing and the faster you pull the more sort of resistance it would it would give and you could package that into any number of, of strength pieces and, and we just we just passed we didn't think it it was it was fluid enough and it would hold up and it just didn't have broad enough appeal and somebody somebody did do that but it didn't it didn't do uh very very well uh life fitness picked up on one that we we passed on but I think did reasonably well and this and I'm trying to remember the name of this one, but this was the one it's a strength machine that had buttons and behind the buttons or the or levers, I'm sorry, that you would pull were these bungee cords. And the more bungee cords you engaged, obviously the more resistance there was. And we took a really, really hard look at that. And I remember it was the Olshansky brothers from Delaware. And we 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 just passed because uh you know, we, we just didn't think we could uh Put the kind of marketing dollars behind it necessary because it was it, it, it was a different category and the the concern we had especially back then with strength is that strength was driven so much by strength purists and, and and any any alternative to weights 
just had never done very well. And we were just concerned that this would be another case in point. And life did okay with it as a, as a circuit for women. It wasn't a huge success, but, uh, but it was, I would have to say it was successful. But it kind of bore out our, our thinking, which was that, you know, at least at that time, the, most of the buyers for, for strength equipment were buying more traditional kinds of, of products. So if there's, a, if there's a piece of equipment that's in the industry today that's widely accepted and used, well, let me ask it this way. What's one piece of equipment that you wish you had invented or, or had, had been uh, done by Precore? One of the – in the industry today still? Sure. You know, one of the pieces I was involved with very, very, very early on in, uh, at, at Syracuse, the Total Gym, which, you know, people think it was an overnight success that happened, you know, four years ago because of an infomercial. It's actually been around since the 1970s. Uh, and, and sold at, at trade shows to orthopedists and physical therapists. And, and those guys worked long and hard before that thing became successful. But I always thought it was a, just a genius product because very simple, uh, worked, on, you know, worked on flexibility, worked on strength. You could, you could work a muscle group in multiple, multiple ways. It, it, it really, I think it's one of the best products ever, ever invented. And uh, that would have been one nice to have. We, we actually came out with a similar product for a while because our sister company, West Bend, bought Total Gym for a brief period in the late 80s. So we did have a like-for-like like product, but uh, that, that product has been probably, uh, I don't, I'm not privy to the numbers, but I bet you it's been the most successful product uh, in, in fitness from a dollar point of view. It is, I can tell you, it is the number one selling infomercial product uh, ever, and in terms of dollars, and uh, we are actually one of the one of the folks we're interviewing for Gym Class Heroes is is Tom Campanero, who's uh, who's going to tell us a little bit of insight. So once we get some information for you, maybe we can share that back. <laughs> well, Tom, Tom and I know each other well, and uh, and I used to. So I, I sold Total Gyms after I left Syracuse and, and started building this the store uh, concept. The first place I started was in uh, back in New Jersey, and um, I was with a guy named Barry Lynn, who's who has also unfortunately passed away. Uh, but Barry and I were were partners, and we we primarily sold uh, Total Gyms. We were early early evangelists uh, of the product, and I've always felt it's it's one of the great products ever in our industry. And I think Tom and uh, Larry, his partner, did a tremendous job with that product. Talking about the elliptical and talking about great products that. Mm. and why they're so great um in my speaking with jim about it that the story is and, to, and to, uh, correct me if i'm wrong that the inventor was inventing something for his daughter who was on a tennis team who did not like running and he was trying to figure out how she could still do that uh without having to run is that correct no uh, is that what jim told you <laughs> is, is it, it's amazing how these, you know, how these stories morph, and, and, and I don't know. It, I just need to remember this as an this, edit point. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, well, I, don't, I don't know if the story, you know, morphs or it's our brains that morph. Uh, but so, what, my, my recollection, and uh, my recollections are coming uh, fewer and fewer, but my recollection is that she was actually a runner, and he wanted something so she could run indoors in the Detroit winters. Uh, okay. And so he, he went outside, had her run and, and had a camera and just filmed her as she ran and then took that video and as he watched it on TV 
he just took a magic marker and inscribed the motion that her foot made. And of course that made an elliptical path. And then he, he just set out to, uh, to, to replicate that. And that's, that's, how, that's the story. So, I mean, it could have been tennis, could have been track. I mean, it's, it's basically the, the story that he, she wanted to work out inside in the Detroit winters. And, uh, and then so Larry invented it. Larry was a, a human factors uh, engineer for, I think, for GM. No kidding. Okay, so yeah. the story was close enough. Probably <laughs> was close enough. <laughs> she probably played a little tennis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I heard. I heard her backhand's not very good. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, you need to develop an elliptical that works on the backhand. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So um, the success in it in the elliptical, and and I'm really it, it's fascinating to me because I know that one of the things that made it what it is today was how you chose to market it, which was where you were distributing it. You said, this is not just a home product. This needs to be recognized and known in gyms. And that was, am I correct? That was kind of a controversial or not, and not everybody was on board oh, with yeah. that way? Oh, yeah. And I would say, you know, if you look back to your career, if I look at my career, that was probably the most critical decision I ever made. Uh, because at that time, we were really a home product company. We were a total non-factor uh, in the gym gym business even though we had uh, we had a nice we had a decent treadmill we had a couple of products but you know we were we were a home company let's face it and we, we sold everything through dealers we didn't have a direct sales organization um, but we knew we wanted to be in that business because we felt like to, to really build the brand you needed to be where people worked out so you needed to be in clubs you needed to be in wise you needed to be in hotels uh, and, and just be in the home product you'd never build the brand that way and so my view was there's only two ways to do it you could you could be in the club, or we could we could make the product like a six hundred dollar info excuse me infomercial product, and build the brand that way, and decide away that's way too risky, and it's it's not really that sustainable over the long term. So let's let's make the elliptical a club product, and this is going to be our entry into the clubs, and so that's what we did. And yeah, it was hugely controversial. Um, I got into a couple yelling matches with some engineers and. And I just told him, hey, you know, <laughs> this is my job. It's not yours. This is what we're doing. And uh, to Bill Potts, who was the president at the time, to his credit, he said to me, look, hey, you're, you're running sales and marketing. Do you think that's it? I, I'm buying in. Let's do it. Uh, and that's what we did. And obviously it worked. And, you know, we, we, as I told you, we sold so many more than we thought we would. And then our goal became, okay, well, we don't want to become a Stairmaster. And this is no slight on Stairmaster. But, you know, my, my view there was great, great product, uh, one of the most successful ever, but never really followed it on with anything that was successful. It wasn't, they, they didn't make it sustainable. And what we tried to focus on during those years is not reading our own press clippings, but make this sustainable. Let's make a great treadmill. Let's make a great bike. Let's look for that you know, next new thing, which of course now has become the AMT. So that was the focus. And, uh, and then all the people who are on the consumer side of our business internally were mad at me because now the resources are flowing uh, the other way. But I thought it was just so critical to make sure that we took advantage of this you know, let's face it, there's an element of luck to that, and you absolutely have to make the best of it. You beat me in my question because I was going to ask you if uh, you were worried you were going to become typecast as, as the elliptical guy. So you, you definitely yeah. beat me to the question. Um, so what's the, what's the next big thing? I mean, how do, you, how, do you, how do you find the next big thing? How do you look for the next thing? And, and more importantly, how do you recognize it when it's there in front of you? 
Yeah, I mean that's a that's a very tough question because you know, some of the, some of these things are you know in, in, intuitive and they're 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 hard to articulate. But I but I think the having being in touch with the the macro trends I think is is really important. And if, if you look at it back then, it, to me it was easy because there's one set it's baby boomers. You know, they're, as they get older, their needs that they have. And, and so if you look at those macro needs, like you know like low impact and rhythmical and all the things that we try to focus on, it's pretty sh- straightforward to, to, to be honest with you. But, but now I think you've got so many more factors going on. I mean, first of all, you really have at least two generations you're speaking to, right? So you have, you have baby boomers that are going off into, you know, wellness and more of a holistic approach to their fitness. And, and that, that's, dictates other kinds of needs, you know, like, you know, like yoga, like things that enhance flexibility, right? These kinds of things. And then you've got their children's generation coming up, millennials, and they're almost in a way going through the same sort of sequence that the babies went, boomers went through. I mean, give you an example, like CrossFit and all this stuff that's happening on TRX. In a way, it's very similar to what went on in the 70s with with Nautilus, you know, people work. If you if if you've talked to the Nautilus guys, you know, what was Nautilus? It was 12. It was 12 repetitions on 12 machines until you puked, basically, <laughs> right? These really super intense exercises. Now it's embodied in, in CrossFit and other things, but it's this need for sort of high intensity, and you know, guys are building their 20 to 35 year old bodies and looking looking buff, focusing focusing on that, and that's why you see what's happening in strength is so different than it was even you know even 10 years ago. So you, you got to look at the sets of needs I think of both of these of both of these groups, the, millenn- the millennials and, and the boomers, and then overlaying all this is this whole technology thing, and, and how's that going to play out? You know, if you look at the the whole the quantified self movement and you know fitbit and you know we have the our sister company has a, has the ambit and these these products are growing like crazy and the percentage of people who are tracking what they do every day is, is growing like crazy and where does where does that fit in and, where, and how can you add value to that and you know how do you integrate that into your products because there's going to be a need for that so I, I think you know just what we try to do is identify these, like I say, these these, these sort of uh, high-level drivers of what's going on, and then figure out where do we want to play within all this. Where can Precore add add value? And once we once we agree, this is where we can add value. Then we try to that's the prism or the window we look we look at when we look at a new product. Does that fit into where where we play, and how we can win in that in that particular segment. So you, you might end up passing on something that, that actually does have a, a lot of potential, but doesn't fit with your, your sort of where to play, as we call it, our where to play strategy. And to, to talk about uh, the sort of trends, what was a trend that you absolutely saw coming? And, and similarly, what was a trend that you didn't see coming in the health and wellness industry that you were like, wow, I, I, it seems so obvious to me now, but totally missed it at the time? Uh, well, I think I think the technology trend we were on pretty early, and you know we started the what's called the Live Without Limits project. We started in 2000, and I want to say six or seven, um, and that's what is our net network fitness thing today. And I mean, you know, God, we have like 35,000 units out there. We've recorded 35. Oh, I think we're up to 40 million exercises. Mm-hmm. We've actually recorded through our network fitness system. Um, so we, I think we, we were on that early and, and you see a lot of people have responded life as a product and techno and, and others. So, you know, that I'm pretty proud of what we've done there. Now, 
if you look at the functional fitness, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if we missed it, um, but we, we we certainly didn't didn't jump on it. And and I and I'd say that we probably didn't appreciate how big it was going to get. And I'm talking about the TRX and and all of that. Because uh, you go into clubs now, there's a lot more space devoted to that. But, you know, again, when you look at the, the where to play question, we looked at it and said, okay, it's a trend. It's bigger probably than we thought it was going to be. But a, as a provider, how do you add how do you add value to that? You know, you, you put engineers on something that's you're going to build a rectangle that you hang straps from. Um, that's to me, that's not adding a lot of value. A lot of people can do that. So we have other capabilities. Should we, should we spend our resources on those capabilities that hopefully add maybe even more value to the, the club owner or the Y owner or the, you know, the uh, hotel or the university? So that's the way we look at it. That you know, in that case, like I said, I think we we did miss the magnitude of the trend, but we did discuss you know, where how do we add value to this? And with limited resources, you know, you got to pick your spots. So. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Precor is, uh, and, and, and speaking with a bunch of your, your folks, we, we're actually uh, talking to them about possibly doing another webinar about the data you've collected from the, these workouts. But mm -hmm. how, how is technology, how is the Internet, how is the, the flow of information going to change the health and wellness industry over the next 10 years? Well, I think there. Are, it, that's a that's a question you probably get a whole bunch of answers in, and I think the real answer is nobody really knows right now. But but I think the holy grail is that back to your question about obesity and the, you know the fact that it's now a disease. If if we're going to say, hey, we're going to reimburse club owners or reimburse uh, members of clubs for using the club to you know either fight or prevent their obesity. We're going to want to make sure that they did more than just show up. I mean, right now, I think some are paying people just to show up, and I think that's going to go away because you, know, you walk in the front door, you walk out the back, or you don't do the right things. You know, there's so much money involved that they will get to a point, I think, that there's going to be a requirement, whether it's you know X number of calories a week or minutes or whatever, and they're going to want to know that happened. So if you're connected, you you can deliver that information. You can deliver it to an insurance company, to the individual, to the doctor, or whatever. So I, I think that's one of the huge, huge potential benefits of this of networked fitness. And then just the insights uh, you know you can you can gain from it too. Selfishly, as a as a manufacturer, you know we we can see now exactly how products are are used. I mean, I give you an example. Like we we did an analysis, an analysis of treadmill usage and. How long? What's the average duration? You know, what's the average speed? And when you compare what we found to what we designed to, it's it's interesting that in a way we've over-designed the product like crazy uh, because we we had suppositions that were wrong. So it so it helps you with with product development. It helps a club owner outfit their club. And I think in, in a lot of cases their single biggest expenditure. Is product it has to be right? It's you know, in some cases you know millions of dollars a year for a big chain, and they'll go in and they'll say, oh, "What well, we put in, you know, we do 15 treadmills and we do 18 ellipticals and whatever that the template has to be, happens to be." In a lot of cases, that's just a guess. They'll 
maybe they'll send somebody around to do some counts during the day. But but it, but it's a guess. Uh, they're not really sure. But if we can tell them, and here are the day parts. Here's what you use. Here's what you use one. Here, here's the one that you use preferentially. God, you know, guys seem to be on one by the girls' locker room all the time, and that one's getting overused, and you might <laughs> want to rotate it. So in asset management, it can be a huge benefit. You may be able to, if you could keep your product one year longer because of good asset management, that's real cash. So, you know, there's lots of ways to use this uh, data. I just gave you three three examples right there. I can assure you that uh, I would I would any expectations of my time on a treadmill are probably much less than that the average. I bring the I bring the norm down a little bit. Yeah. You corrupt the I data. Like, yeah, I corrupt the data. They would throw my data out because of it. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, there's there's thousands of pieces of equipment uh, that work all the different muscles. What's one single piece of equipment that every what's one piece of unique unique piece of equipment that every gym should have in it? Well, not, of course, this is where I have to jump into shameless plug mode. <laughs> plug. But, but the, and in all objectivity, I think our, the new AMT is, is the best cardio product ever made. Ever made. Because you, you can do so much on it, and, and, and you can do it in a way that's relatively easy. It's not a, doesn't have a big learning curve. But, you know, you can run, you can walk, you can climb, you can change your step height, you can go forward, you can go backwards. It's super, super fluid. Um, it's amazing. And we, sh we should play for you. You should ask Doug Johns, our VP of marketing, have him play for you the recording when Alberto Salazar called me after he got his AMT. Do you know who Alberto Salazar is? No, I do not. Okay, so Alberto is uh, like three-time American record holder in the marathon, won the New York Marathon many times. He's very famous among track guys, distance guys, and Alberto's probably in his 50s now. I think we already he, covered this, but we're from the East Coast where we just want to know who ends. Who wins? We, we're not from Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> okay, well, actually, Alberto's originally from Boston. Ah, there uh, you go. And, and, and he's, but he heads up the Oregon Project. Uh, for, for Nike, and he trains some of the top athletes in the world. So he trained the Olympic gold and silver in, in, in the 5 and 10,000 uh, last year. He's got the best female distance runner in America now, Mary Kane, who's from uh, Bronxville, actually from New York, 17 years old. Um, but anyway, he's a very, very well-known coach in track and field area, and he, he has, has an AMT, an old one, and I said, you know, I want to send you a new one, get your input. And he, and he called. I wasn't at the phone. He left the recording. And he just went on and on about how natural it was. It's the best product ever. You know, you can use my name and my athletes and blah, blah, blah. But the, the level of enthusiasm, you could hear it in, in his voice. And that's just an example. And, you, and you, people you talk to that use the product, they'll tell you it's the, it's the best thing they, they've ever used. Mm. So another sort of off-the-wall question. Uh, we, yep. And we've asked everybody we've done this uh, dungeon who's, who's interviewed we've interviewed for gym class heroes. Um, if there was one workout that you could do, you only could do one workout for the rest of your life, sort of the Last Supper, if you will. The one thing you could do over and over and over again. What's the one workout you love doing? And it can be in the gym. It could be you know walking and hiking. It's you could do it only, but it's the only one you could do. Well, if, uh, that's a really tough question because there's a lot of stuff I like to do. I mean, if if I could still run, which I can't, and I was an ex-runner, ex I would do what I used to do every Saturday morning until about five years ago, which is jump on my treadmill and run a, a 5K time trial. That's balls to the wall. 
how uh, why can't you run anymore? Oh, my left knee just the cartilage says uh, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. So now I now I cycle and I I would do like a really hard cycle a road bike I like road biking so I'd go out and do a, like a real hard like 25 30 mile ride probably. Yeah, I love cycling as well. Um, you're talking about I feel like there may have been a gap or may not and just uh, I'll ask you to fill it in after the success of the elliptical you talked to and then you're getting into uh sort of the technology side uh, of what you guys have been doing from technology and data uh, accumulation and such anything in between that you'd say was one of your your great things or one of the exciting things well there, there were building blocks there so after the elliptical uh you know bill left in, in the late 99 uh, and i took over in 2000 and we Early on, actually, in 2002, I think, we bought Cardio Theater and Clubcom. And that was our first sort of foray into technology. But, but then it was recognizing this trend towards uh, entertainment. So we were really the first company to integrate entertainment. It's not that there weren't TVs and TV stands around, but we actually you know, bought Cardio Theater and Clubcom and integrated the PBS screens into the machines. So you, you could buy any one of our machines with a screen integrated, without it integrated, or with just the controls integrated. So a TV on the wall you could watch but listen to on the machine. And nobody nobody had ever uh, done that. Seems kind of <laughs> basic right now. But that was actually a big move for us because it, it just taught us a lot about entertainment, what people liked, what they didn't like, uh, just the technology in general of of that. And it was a, it, it was a key learning, and it helped us when we decided to get into uh, technology in a much bigger way with the Network Fitness Project. We had those capabilities built into uh, into the organization. Did you get pushback on that on that cardio theater idea? From whom? From, internally? internally? I mean, was there, were there people who said this is not the right direction for us? This does not make sense? The um, world doesn't look at well, it? Well, it, it was – let's just put it this way. There was a little more cleanup than we had anticipated. Mm -hmm. uh, so my engineers weren't all that happy because there's a lot of stuff that we had to redesign and fix. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I think I think there was a high level of support. And, and actually, if you track that, after we, if we made those acquisitions and integrated the product – we went from man, it was unbelievable. We we we, we spent two years in the two hundred millions. So we went from whatever one seventy to two twenty to the, the, I'm guessing at these numbers, but they're roughly correct. Uh, two twenty to two eighty to three fifty to four oh seven. So in the so we spent two years in the two hundreds, one year in the three hundreds. Uh, and then broke 400 million in 07, and it had a lot to do with with cardio theater acquisition and entertainment because we had a real leadership uh, position in that. Mm -hmm. And um, and before we kind of wrap up, I just want to know something I didn't get to ask, and I was thinking when you talked about uh, the the elliptical, and you talked we were talking about the controversy the the controversial side of marketing it mm -hmm. uh, to gyms versus you know going the home route. Um, mm -hmm. Why was there pushback? Why didn't people get that? 
Well, it's just the perception that, you know, a lot of people in, in pre-core, and I think just in business in general, they'll say, well, you know, stick to your knitting. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they went to business school, which would be a big mistake. But, oh, let's see, what's the latest article I just read? Oh, it's not our, quote, core competency. You know, so <laughs> let's, let's, not, let's not do that because that's not who we are. Um, and that's you know that's a fair point, and, 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 and you listen to it. But that's that's the reason for the pushback that, that we we really weren't structured from a distribution point of view at that time. Um, I think there might have been some concern on the engineering uh, on engineers' part that do we even know how to design for this because we're designing for the home, which is a whole different set of requirements than the you know the kind of abuse that takes place in a club. So maybe there was just some fear on, on the engineers' part. Um, and then and the third thing is I just find en- engineers are not generally the guys that jump, the, you know, grab the banner of change, change and say charge. You know, they're, they're usually not the ones. They're, they're the reluctant ones that, you know, want to see the data, want to see the proof. Uh, and, and that's where most of the pushback was from. The, the sales group, the marketing, everybody was totally bought in. Let's go to the clubs. But the engineering group, uh, they, were, they were reluctant participants early on. So we've, we've always asked this question, never gotten a straight answer. <laughs> we want you to be the first person to give us a straight answer, Paul. What has been your worst decision? Mm. Uh, I, I, think, I, I think my worst decision, and, and I've had some, you know, we could probably write a book on my bad decisions, but the... <laughs> That'll the, be for the next interview. <laughs> yeah, the the worst one I, is is not funding um, our strength acquisition to the level we should have. I you know because we bought we bought uh, uh, what's it uh, Icarian Club Common Cardio Theater all within like months of each other. So we made three acquisitions. Um, the Club Common Cardio Theater worked out really well and you know became what is now our network fitness organization. Whereas, you know, the strength is something we had to have, you know, you're going to the club, you may as well have it, this type of thing. And, and um, you know, we just didn't fund it enough. We didn't put enough uh, money into new product development. We didn't round out the line. We didn't, you know, we're just now, frankly, uh, catching up with, you know, current product. And it took way too long. And then, and that's really, that's my fault because what I should have done is gone to Helsinki and said, yep, you know, we spent $10 million on these guys. But guess what? We're going to have to dump another whatever, you know, four million into product development, and, and get it, get it up to speed, and get it up to speed fast. We've we've just taken too long, um, and we, we're trying to rectify that now. But that I would say that's one of my worst decisions, and that was that was more in, in deciding not to do. You know, it was an error of omission instead of commission. Okay, so we're Lee. Can I can I do my favorite part of the interview, or, or you have any more questions? I uh, I have a thousand questions, but I <laughs> so I will. Uh, well, you, I get one so more excited. question. Well, I know you do. Uh, one one actually question I'd like to I'd like to wrap up this this portion on, which is just what's your advice for somebody who's getting in the industry now? Somebody who 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 loves fitness, loves business, wants to make a mark. Uh, what would you tell somebody who comes to you? Hmm. Well, it, it, it depends on, you know, what, what their, what their uh, position is. Are they an engineer? Are they a marketer? Whatever. But, but I would say I, I, I think that the, the, the industry is, is poised for another phase, I think, of, of big growth. Um, 
it's if you if you look around, I think it's exciting to see the number of people that are out doing things. You know, and and, and I, I like to look at from as a marketer, look at things anecdotally as well as look at the data, but just look around you and see what's happening. And 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 I see a lot more activity. I see people on bikes. I see people walking, jogging, and you know, hiking and doing CrossFit and all this. And so I think I think that's really exciting. I think you know, the Obamacare and healthcare and 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 what's happening with obesity as a disease really says that this this industry is is going to be one of massive opportunity and and I think the opportunities is is going to be in understanding what are I think many different segments in the business I think that's one of the big trends right now it's it's not you know one size fits all you know the big 40,000 50,000 square foot gyms that try to cater to everybody but if you look at where the growth is and I think where it's going to be it's hitting some of these niche segments so understanding what those niche segments are try to figure that out and you know pick one and attack it that's that's the advice I would give Excellent. All right, Hossein, roll away, my friend. All right, three questions here. First of all, who's your mentor in the industry? Hey, by the way, you keep you keep saying last question. We're on the fourth last question. <laughs> well, they, I, you're you're too you're too intriguing a, a oh, subject okay. to just end here. Um, who is your mentor in the industry? My mentor, or who was your mentor? My mentor, I, I, I didn't have a, a mentor in the in the industry. I mean, frankly, because. I was there so early. There was nobody to mentor me. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I had to kind of figure it out on my own and make make all the mistakes. I, I had a tremendous business mentor uh, at Premark and, and ITW when they owned us. A guy named Jim Ringler, who was the CEO, and uh, just I, I learned so much from him about about business. That was that was helpful, and I think had, had a lot to do with my success. All right, in third grade or fourth grade, when <laughs> you were playing dodgeball. Or, or whatever sport, and you were getting picked. Were you sort of one of the kids who always got, got picked early, or were you somebody who they were like shied away from and never picked? By the way, Lee and I, uh, we're still waiting to get picked. So <laughs> if, if you haven't gotten picked, don't don't feel bad about it. But but in fairness, uh, we were no, first was, called for uh, castrating the bull. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> No, I was uh, I, I was blessed to have pretty good athletic talent, and I was usually the first one picked or the captain. And you know, I was the captain of all my sports in high school. And well, you know, I was just I got good good genes. I was lucky that way. All right, seems like everybody other than the two of us, Lee. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so we're gonna play a quick word association game, and I do promise these are the last set of questions. I'm gonna give you a word. You just tell us the first word that pops into mind. Okay. Um, We've had a whole bunch of very interesting answers to these, and we can share those with you if you want at some point. Okay, so now am I, I going to get a psychological profile back as part of <laughs> there this? Is, we are. We are. By the <laughs> way, uh, what we have determined from the, the four folks we have interviewed so far is they are incredibly smarter than us. <laughs> Much smarter than us. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I guess the uh, the personality test is most negative on us. <laughs> That's who we're the, <laughs> We've been mo most poorly influenced by it. But anyways, let's hear what you have to do. Okay. All right, here we go. Word association. First word is treadmill. Precore. Member. Guest. Employee. We importante. Retention. Critical. Diet. Critical. Exercise. 
very important. That biggest loser. That's okay. We'll take it. Biggest loser. Um, ambivalent. Spotting. What's that? Spotting. Spotting? Like when you spot someone. Yeah, like when you oh, spot okay. someone when they're with you. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll teach you more safety, about the way safety, the health safety. and wellness it is. Safety. Healthcare. Opportunity. Technology. Opportunity. The Nintendo Wii Fit. Segment. Locker room. Member satisfaction. Gym class. Bring it back. <laughs> Three words. There you go. That's for By sure. the way, first time in the history of Gym Class Heroes, we had an international world brought into, uh, into Word Association, <laughs> which says a lot about you, I think, Paul. Well, actually, I think that <laughs> well, does... a, lot, a lot of those were, were, were two words and kind of limited in the response, but, you know, that's, uh, that's how I feel about a lot of that. It's, it's well, all critical stuff. In fairness, very important and muy importante. I don't know if we can say they're not the same thing. Um, yeah. But, you know, actually, it, but it, it goes to... Uh, uh, well, actually, that's we told you last question. That'll be it. <laughs> so yeah. that'll be. No, it. that's fine. You were, it goes to what? Well, um, I was I was talking with Jim, and he was telling me that um, you know you obviously using muy importante that you learned Spanish so you could communicate with a broader sense of the people you work with and your customers and expanding yourself. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did Rosetta Stone, and uh, you know it's funny. I go to the company meetings. We 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 do. Uh, I don't know if Jim told you, but we we do something called open communications where uh, I get to meet with every employee once a quarter and takes all day because we don't have a big enough meeting room. And, um, and a lot of them, you know, speak Spanish, a lot of the workers. So, you know, they make fun of me because my Spanish is probably at, you know, like a kindergarten level. Uh, but they love the fact that I, you know, I just make the effort. I got to imagine. And I have a, I have a book here with, uh, everybody's picture. Uh, so I know, you know before I walk the factory, I, I try to remind myself uh, who's who and what the names are. And you know, we have 850 employees, but I, but I know a lot of them, and that's the thing I'm going to miss is uh, it's you know the, just the the relationships and, and the fact that people you know they love working here and we we have a great culture and, uh, and that's the thing. Frankly, I'm most proud of it's not uh, it's not the equipment I think because if you have a culture, then the co the company survives and great things continue to happen and. It's, uh, I think it's really the seed of everything. Very cool. Excellent. And the next thing, so it's just fly fishing and uh, perhaps golf, or do you think, uh, you think you'll kind of start over and, and be an entrepreneur again in the industry? Oh, I'm definitely going to take some time to, to, have, to have fun, although I, I think I've lived a very balanced life all along. Uh, but, no, I'd like to stay involved. Uh, there's a couple of companies I'm talking to about, some board uh, seats right now, and uh, yeah, I'd, li I'd like to stay involved at some level. You know, I'm 62 now. I've got a lot of experience. I think it would be a waste to just disappear, quite honestly. Yeah. Uh, and I love it. I mean, I love the industry. I, you know, I think those of us that are in it, we're, we're absolutely blessed to be in it. You know, we're, we're, we're doing something that's meaningful. Um, and so why, why walk away? Outstanding. Well, Jim, uh, I can't. Th Paul, Paul, sorry, <laughs> Paul, I that's cannot. Right. <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for being part of. By the way, his last name is Byron. Paul yeah, right. <laughs> it's, I believe it's Jim Paul Byron. <laughs> so yeah. Jim Paul Byron. Look him up in Dublin. Uh, <laughs> um, 
Uh, and now we've gone full circle, so we can end the we call. Have gone full circle. We can we can now end this uh, as a as a completed interview. Exactly, yeah. uh, Paul. Thanks so much. This was absolutely wonderful, and you are truly a gym class hero, and have done amazing things in the industry. And uh, it was an uh, honor to be able to talk to you about them and hear the story behind it. And and uh, we wish you nothing but the very best uh, in in the next phase. Thanks, guys. I, I really appreciate. It. I, enjoy, I enjoyed the chat. Terrific. Thanks. So. Another great episode here of Gym Class Heroes presented by Athletic Business Magazine and the iClubs Conference. Uh, entrepreneurs and innovators who are inspired, join us November 20th to 22nd in San Diego, California. Uh, for uh, Paul Byrne and Jose Nojirani, I'm Lee Kessler, and we'll see you next time. Ciao. This has been Gym Class Heroes.